My name is Joe Simperman. I'm the president of Global Cleveland, and I'm thrilled to welcome you to our first episode in our new podcast series. Global Cleveland is a nonprofit that attracts, welcomes, and connects international newcomers to social, economic, and educational opportunities in Northeast Ohio. It is our closely held belief that we strengthen our city by welcoming our world. There has always been a divide between people of different cultures, birthplaces, religions, nationalities, languages, that stems from misconceptions, a lack of understanding. We here are trying to close that gap. The purpose of this podcast is to open eyes and strengthen our global ties. The purpose is also for us to see the humanity in one another's hearts. With each episode, we're going to speak with someone who is a leader who has a connection to Cleveland with international ties, and someone who is living their life in Cleveland to make it better for every refugee, child of an immigrant, an asylum seeker, or someone who hopes to one day call the United States their permanent home. We're beginning this journey by speaking with a member of our staff, Fatima Rahman. Well, hi, Fatima. Hello, Joe. It's nice to be with you here on our first podcast. I know. It's so, it's so fun and interesting. <laughs> and I'm so happy you're our first person. Oh, I am? Okay. Yes. I did not know Because <laughs> I think everyone after this is going to be gauged by how great this one was. So we really <laughs> appreciate it. So we are here today with the most amazing Fatima Rahman, who is this incredible person that we got to know through a program that's being offered at the Cleveland Foundation. And Fatima, if you would just tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, where did you grow up? Um, what nationalities do you identify yourself by? And can you tell us a little bit about the Cleveland Foundation program uh, that we were forced, so fortunate to get to know because it allowed us to get meet, to get to meet somebody as great as you? Uh, thank you so much. You're so kind always. So I am 22 years old, um, but I am so excited to retire already. I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I grew up um, in a, my childhood was in Atlanta, Georgia, and my teenage years was in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, the nationalities I identify myself with is mostly Honduran, and I, I am technically mixed with Bangladeshi. Um, I was born in Honduras um, from by a Honduran Catholic mother and a Muslim Bangladeshi father, um, but I, I only grew up with my mother, so I identify mostly as um, Honduran and Latina. And uh, I guess my story, um, I came to the United States when I was a year old um, with my mother and my aunt, um, who was my mom's sister. Um, and, and yeah, and she was very, like, very, like, strict. I grew up with my single mom, and she was very strict with me about, like, school and just, like, making sure that I came here, you know, for the, the idea of giving me better opportunities. Um, she sacrificed a lot for me to be here where I am today. So um, re- having education and pursuing college was always like, not only like the idea, but like the plan for me. And like, no matter how I was supposed to do it, cause it wasn't really clear how I was gonna get that plan being low income and um, being um, a DACA, well, un- at the time undocumented. So um, it was really stressful, but, but yeah. Fatima, so many people that are listening to this hear the words DACA, Dreamer. Can you uh, tell us what DACA is and and kind of what that means for you as this um, young person who's like doing incredible things professionally, but also trying to create policy as you go? Yeah, so um, to give context, so um, DACA was created for individuals like myself who came to the United States um, undocumented, um, usually by 
um, the choice of their parents, um, who sacrificed a lot for us to be here, and um, and it's to give opportunities to these young individuals um, to have temporary uh, relief status so it uh, secures so DACA in particular is for individuals who came to the United States before the age of 16 before 2012 by the Obama administration um, and it gives a DACA recipients two years of relief that we have to renew every two years um, uh, from being deported and just gives us a work permit um, so we're able to pay taxes and like work legally and all this stuff but we're um it's not a permanent thing so like I always like any like like issue I might run into like could mean like I no longer have DACA um it's it, there is no pathway to citizenship yet um and it, it's very limited I can't vote I can't access a lot of benefits for financial aid for college I couldn't receive any um, government aid um I can't do programs like AmeriCorps or Peace Corps or, like travel abroad for that matter so it's very limiting but it allows me to pursue a career to help people like me so and so people like you so you talked a little bit about um your experience and you came uh, from New Orleans to attend uh university here in Cleveland uh at the Case Western Reserve University and what was that like i mean here you know you are this person who grew up in you know Georgia and in Louisiana and you're studying at Case and University Circle and then you know you talked about helping other people can you talk about the program that that you helped to introduce Case to that now it's uh one of the chapters of the program yeah, so um I uh, so for me um growing up I grew up in very like diverse but low income areas um and um my mom made it very clear that I had to like work uh, so much more harder than most of my peers um because of my status so like for me to be able to receive a scholarship like it didn't matter just to be smart like I had to be like well rounded and do all these and volunteer here and be part of this student group so uh, being very involved part of it was obviously due to my passion and wanting to like if I was going to make something out of a career I wanted it to do it and giving back to my community because it shouldn't be this hard for someone like me to go to college but the reality it is this hard and like I had to like do all these things to like potentially like the idea of getting a scholarship because I knew I wasn't able to go to college financially on my own um, and so um, I was nominated for the Posse Foundation scholarship in New Orleans um, and it's a very rigorous scholarship group that sends a cohort of 10 um, to universities that normally wouldn't accept leaders um, in those cohorts um, for full tuition scholarships. And um, it really was what allowed me to go to college. Um, and so Case was partnered, the uh, Posse New Orleans for the first year my cohort was chosen. And I was part of the first cohort of Posse scholars from New Orleans to Case Western, um, which was like what changed my life, really, honestly. And then... Um, and then from there, just like, I was like, okay, if I'm gonna be someone, like, I wanna do it. Um, so it's not this difficult for people, like, to be able to just to go to college. And so, because of your activism and the fact that you were able to go to Case Western, you were able to help the school become a member of the Golden Doors. Yes, yes. So, um, um, so coming to campus, I really um, pushed hard for building more resources for marginalized um, 
uh, student, students from marginalized identities, um, especially for first generation and immigrant students. That was a big uh, focus of mine. So for first generation students, I was able to start a student group for first gen, uh, called First Crew, which is for first gen students. Um, and then soon after that, like helped me become the student leader to like then come with a proposal to help um, build resources um, and support for undocumented and DACA students on campus. I brought up the proposal to the university um, right at the start of the pandemic, so not a lot could have been done because the focus was obviously like, you know, crisis mode and and you know protecting all the students and from that situation. Um, but one thing that was did come out of that proposal was the university becoming a Golden Door Scholars, which gives scholarship to undocumented and DACA students um, and would encourage those students to go to the partner universities of Golden Door, which is now case, which I'm happy about. Because a lot of people don't realize, right, financial aid is, is challenging yeah, for yeah. people who are in the DACA Dreamer program. Yeah, I, uh, if I was a citizen um, with my posse scholarship and, like, my background, I would have most likely gotten enough financial aid to, like, basically not graduate it, would graduate at least half the debt I have now or, like, no debt at all. Um, but due to my status, I was dependent entirely on the financial aid and scholarships I found and from the university, um, so which covered, again, like, the Posse Foundation covered full tuition, but, like, room and board is very expensive at Case Western. Um, so it covered a lot of it, but it didn't cover all of it. So that definitely came from private loans I have to start paying soon. <laughs> right. And Fatima, like, one of the things that I've, I've learned about you in the time that we've worked together is that you really see your life, um, and you said it earlier, as a way for somebody who comes after you to not have to climb as high of a mountain. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, you've talked about that, using your, your skills and your education uh, to be an advocate for other people. What does that mean for you? Like, as you sit here now at the end of 2021, you know, you're part of a fellowship, you've graduated from a great university, you're this amazingly achieved person, and yet you're you're still looking for that that piece of whatever it would be that it would help the people who would come in the, in the next generation in the next class. Yeah, I think that what helps my mom. Something that my mom really raised me with was el bebé que no llora no mama. The baby that doesn't cry does not eat. So like she's always made it clear to me. It's like I don't have everything to give you to be successful outside of like you know like the values and skills I can provide to you. But like as far as like being successful and figuring out what you need to be successful in this country like you need to figure that out and you need to ask for help and that is not taught in all in all our communities and that and and it's really hard and like and a lot to expect of a student that was really ingrained in me so that really pushed me to like like I need to get ahead I need to do this for my mother now for my mother and my baby brother um and so it was really important like it really was like a survival like kind of like mentality of like I have to get ahead like it's not really a choice um so for that reason I really like ask for help, ask for counselors, ask, like, really put myself in very intimidating positions that I feel like I shouldn't have to put myself to get myself ahead. And again, those are not things that, like, are taught and shouldn't have to be constantly pushed down our throats to, like, to be successful. We have to, like, push and do all these things because it's, like, a lot to expect out of a one individual to be everything and to be this tokenized, perfect individual in many ways that I had to be. Um, and people admire my, like, my accomplishments and things that I've done but like people don't like ask or like question like w the sacrifice or the cost of my mental health that it came with and like to this day I'm like really struggling with my mental health because of it so it's just more so like 
we shouldn't have to beg and scream for help and it should be normal for people like us to be in these spaces and if it requires for me to be tokenized and like put in this pedestal to open the doors for more people like me like so be it but like the fact is like i know at what cost it came to me and it shouldn't come to more people like that cost shouldn't be added to the rest of the people who are seeking these same opportunities right so and one of the things that you know you've taught me fatima is like this program that you're in with the cleveland foundation right the whole idea of it is that you would uh, work with uh, an organization for this year and then to see how you could influence policy, how you could influence the things that are, are important from your perspective in the community. Can you talk about that specific fellowship that you're in and kind of how you see that working in Cleveland specifically as a result of the Cleveland Foundation establishing this connection? Yeah, so I, I guess like my attraction to the Cleveland Foundation came from like working in nonprofits in Cleveland and like just my time at Case and like learning about the nonprofit sector here and then going into doing my master's in nonprofit management I learned how heavily of an influence Cleveland Foundation has in the uh, Cleveland community so that really attracted me to the Cleveland Foundation and learn what other resources it had and that's how I learned of the fellowship through that and as well as like prior fellows who were friends of mine in college who also did the fellowship so um, I really wanted to stay in Cleveland to continue like working in the community here because I like grown to like really appreciate and 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 care about it and um and I wanted to and I wanted to like something to be like really get me hands-on on like public service work um but that also like to could take care of like financial needs because like as someone who's independently taking myself like that was also important it's like not only like being able to like provide to the community but being able to take care of myself and the clean foundation fellowship really provided both of those things um so yeah it's just a great opportunity um for me right now to like just figure out what's next and like i'm really privileged to be in an organization that does immigration and refugee work which is the field of my interest um and yeah so i'm just really want to be able to give my all this year before I have to say goodbye. <laughs> and what does that uh, after this year look like for you? You've talked a little bit about wanting to pursue, you know, a career that would allow you to continue to make great change. Yeah. Um, what does that mean for you in terms of, you know, where you would go and what you would do? My, ideally, I would like to continue working um for like advocacy for the immigration and refugee community and in my job in some way or form um but i'm not really sure i I do want to work for at least another year before then pursuing law school and doing immigration and international law um so so that's definitely like my clear next step but as far as like right, right after this fellowship it's a little unclear sure and you take your lived experience, Fatima, and that's just one of the things, you know, that we love about you here at Global Cleveland is that, you know, you, you're still living this experience, right? You're, you're still somebody who's, you know, trying to make sense out of a, an immigration system that doesn't seem to have a lot of sense. And yet you've lived this life and you've talked a little bit about the toll that it's taken on you. Can you talk about that? Like when, when did you first start to like really realize like the whole DACA dreamer perspective of what it meant? I mean, here you are this, you know, really bright young person that's trying to, you know, make their way. And then you've got this other thing on there, you know, for people who, you know, in Northeast Ohio, maybe who've never had a chance to talk to somebody who's part of the DACA dreamer program or who don't know people who are here without documents. Like what was that like in terms of, you know, day to day for you? It it must not have been easy. It it wasn't at all. Like even growing up was 
because being undocumented in this country has been really hard. I've had family members who've been um, deported. Um, my mom um, was, when I was in middle school, was detained by ICE and like, it was a very scary experience. I didn't see her for months during the holidays. And to, to this day, it's a big, it's a big thing that my family's overcoming. And since then, like just the fear of like one of us like not being here, we've had multiple conversations, like especially from my mom, like before she got um, her green card, um, she, we've had multiple conversations. If she were to be deported, like like me stepping up and being like the parent and caregiver of my brother, which in, in a very distant extent, I, I play um, at the moment, but like, like stepping up and like being that it was like a very much like a potential reality um and then just especially navigating like the healthcare system my mom like um and my brother both going heavily through the healthcare system during their um issues it's like been very difficult for us like finding like resources and just like being able to make it by honestly and then as a docker recipient um it, when I found, you know, when I was able to access DACA, it meant a lot for me, and it, it really did change my life of like what was, a, what was like available and like um, accessible to me. Um, really changed having DACA, but like then having it potentially rescinded by the Trump administration um, in 2017. I was just starting college when that happened, and I remember like just getting my first job on a student on on campus um and telling my supervisor like hey like i don't even know like if i will be able to legally work like i don't know what this means like it was all a confusing time and there were my first support system there in the sense of like uh, my i remember my supervisor telling me like if you know until you can legally cannot work here you're you know you're welcome to work here like we'd love to have you and it meant a lot um being able to like have that support and quickly having that support of like the student groups on campus um and soon after from the university um so it it meant a lot going to a university that supported students like me um but it wasn't at all like like it didn't take away like the fear and discomfort I faced on the daily of like what that meant, especially under the Trump administration. Like, what did that mean um, for my life if he like decided to like take that away? Um, because like, would I be able to finish college? Would I be able to like work? Like, what would that mean for me? Like, and even to this day, like if my DACA um, is taken away and I can't legally work like what would that mean for me like I have these degrees but realistically I won't be able to use them um, so it's just it's all very frustrating um, but the struggle continues <laughs> the struggle continues what is something that you wish the people listening to this podcast would know about uh, the program things that you wish that people would know about you if they you know never got a chance to meet you um really like why like why people come to this country and like the real reasons why we come here um in this dangerous and insecure ways like like people like sometimes try to like like criminalize our parents or blame like my mom made a tremendous sacrifice for me to be even talking to to you right now today um like if it wasn't for her to bring me out of the country um, undocumented like she we wouldn't have like like there's no legal realistic way that like a mother a, a single mother of 20 years old with a one-year-old daughter um, speaking no English having no connections in the United States um, escaping a, a like a, a unhealthy relationship like would have 
been able to like come to this country um legally um and um and that's just like the facts like like our immigration system is not meant to protect people like me it's it's like you know it's really just about like valuing like what you can bring to this country and most people were seen as cheap and exploited labor and the fact is that we're much more than that and like the reasons that like our realities our histories and like the reasons why we can't like become citizens are not taught to the public is because there's an economy like profiting off of that um and until people are ready to have that conversation and are ready to like like you know like learn you know unlearn their biases and like the you know really learn the history that goes behind this like the i don't i don't see how things will change like honestly like people really need to educate themselves on, like what is causing us to come here and like why the system keeps us undocumented right and that's why it's so important and we're so grateful that you're speaking out and and speaking on this program because it will educate people so more people will be educated you know, there's so many people in Cleveland, as you know, Fatima, you're here, you're a Clevelander. They want to do something, right? People want to take a step. They want to make an action to, to make a change or help make a difference. What are some things that you think people listening to this should know if they want to make uh, something more positive for people, you know, who are in your position, for people who are undocumented, for international sisters and brothers who live in Cleveland? Like, what's, what are some important messages from your lived experience and your perspective? Um, well, first thing for sure is like educate yourself, educate yourself like of the issues that affect us, like what, like what's the obstacles we have to overcome and like addressing those obstacles, like who like favors our existence and who like it want us gone or like doesn't want to keep us undocumented or want us keep us vulnerable and like making sure we don't vote for those individuals, like making sure we like have people in power who can provide more support for us. Um, being involved in organizations like Global Cleveland and other nonprofits in the area that are supporting like refugees and immigrants um, and and honestly just being able, you know, like in like just like all the ways of like being able to support these communities, just like be an advocate, like and, and most importantly, give them like like we have voices like we just don't have the mics and like passing the mics to us and like letting our voices be heard and like and letting us take decisions and like come up with the solutions that hurt our community because we are like the experts of our own lived experiences. Um, so um, I think this is a, a great way to do it, like um, sharing the message, but also like, you know, giving more opportunities for these people to speak up and and tell us like you know this is what is harming us like we know like the solutions to our problems but like actually like applying and putting the pressure on them so well Fatima I just I can't thank you enough for your incredible um, voice that you've you've uh, educated us on and there's just so many things here that you know I, I I'm I'm learning is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to make sure we understood because it just I could listen to you for hours yeah I mean I think something that's important to note it's that like DACA the generations of DACA recipients were growing up because that no new like there's no um, applications for new recipients is not allowed yet so the fact is that most um, especially younger generations generations who are experiencing um, the immigration system, especially as undocumented, are completely undocumented, do not have access to DACA um, and have less resources to some than someone like me. At least like I'm able to work and like I have the relief from deportation within DACA. But like there's people who are like 
who can't even do that. Um, and so being able to like keep them in mind when we're thinking of our constituents, like they're included even if they cannot vote. So things like that. Hmm. Well, thank you, Fatima. We are so grateful to have spent this time with you on our podcast to learn a little bit more about your life and learn a little bit more about you. Uh, we also know that um, after you graduate from law school and you're doing all the things you're going to do, that people will go back to this podcast and be like, you know, she was saying this back in 2021. Um, and so we're just really appreciative. And, and mostly, Fatima, thank you for the work that you do. You really do inspire us to take action and to tell all of us that it's our responsibility to make the situation better. It can't just be on your shoulders. So thank you so much, Fatima. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, really excited to uh, continue working with you through the Cleveland Foundation and through the work we're doing at Global Cleveland. Thank you so much for joining us for the first episode of Landed, Stories of Newcomers. We want to thank Fatima for joining us and sharing her story. This podcast was created by the staff of Global Cleveland. If you'd like to learn more about Global Cleveland's mission, Visit our website at globalcleveland.org or find us on social media at Global Cleveland. If you like this episode, please leave us a review, share with your friends, or help us get the conversation started on social media using the hashtag LandedPodcast. Thank you for listening.